At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, I'm just so happy that it's Monday and it's the beginning of a new month and it's the final month of this year and all that jazz. I mean, I like beginnings and I like endings. I'm like an equal opportunity person when it comes to starting and stopping. But I had a marvelous weekend. I really did. I had a wonderful birthday celebration, which just seemed to keep going on. It's still going on. I still got a gift today in the mail. I feel like a kid, you know? It's, uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful that people care. You know, there was a time in my life where I don't think I probably had as many friends or acquaintances even as I do today, largely because I wasn't a very, very good friend. But by today's standards, I am a much better friend. I have to tell you, I went this weekend, part of my celebration was my husband had arranged for us to go to see a Santana tribute band. And I have like a mixed relationship with tribute bands. I don't know about the rest of you, but I always know they're either going to be great or they're going to be dreadful. And the problem with dreadful is my husband is big on like front row, second row, third row. He likes to be close to the fire, as he puts it. So you can't just get up without attracting a lot of attention. So when we're going into an event like this, I'm always hopeful. You know, let it, let this be wonderful. Let me not have to uh, feel uncomfortable when I'm driven out of my seat. But that didn't happen. They were very, very good. Uh, listen, anybody who thinks when they go to see a tribute band, they're going to see the band, it's being silly. But you want people who are at least gifted musicians. And, and that's what we got. We got a guy who could really play guitar. We could two amazing drummers. The name of the band was Supernatural. And if they ever come your way, go see them. At this stage in my life, I realized that most of the bands that mattered in my life are too old to be of any use to me. So (laughs) I like the tribute bands. They're young and they have energy and most of them are very capable of playing the music. And, and Carlos Santana is hard to duplicate or imitate, but this, uh, this guitarist did a fine job. So I had a great time there. Um, I'm sitting in the theater, and some, you know, a lady comes in and sits down next to me. She's got her arm in a cast, and, you know, I know. It's just, it's rough. At this stage of my life, every fall is a potential devastating, uh, could land you in the hospital. Uh, and worse. So I, I was feeling empathetic immediately. I didn't know the lady, but I introduced myself. And after a few minutes of 
talking casually. She, first of all, she was really happy to be there. She came by herself. That's not easy to do when you're a lady. It's probably not that easy to do when you're a guy, but I can only tell you from a woman's perspective, it's difficult to go somewhere by yourself. Even though it's a venue where most people are not, it's not like you're talking to your neighbor. Although she and I talked almost the entire lead up to the beginning of the concert. And what was fascinating was we immediately sensed that there was something more to our bumping into each other than just sort of circumstance. And so about five minutes into the conversation, you know, you inevitably get to where you're from originally, right? Because most of us are not from Florida. So I said, well, I'm actually from New York. And she goes, well, I knew that. She goes, me too. Where in New York? So I said, Washington Heights. And she said, me too. Now I gotta tell you, I don't often meet people who are from Washington Heights. It's a small part of uh, the, the borough of Manhattan. Most people that I meet down here who come from New York, come from Brooklyn, the Bronx, Staten Island, Queens, but very seldom do you hear about people who were born and raised in Manhattan. So that was first fun. And we started joking around, very close in age to one another, lived on virtually the same, you know, block. And it was just kind of cool to be there. That small world syndrome was happening. And I really liked her. She was just a, a cheerful, happy person. And there's just not enough people like that. So I, as I said, I had a, had a wonderful weekend. That didn't mean that the world did not fall apart all around me, because it sure did. Sometimes I just have to avoid looking at anything, any news, any um, websites, any television. I, I can, can't even turn on the radio. And obviously, I'm a radio fan, fan addict. And so I try to stay away as much as I can from Friday at 4 o'clock when I get off the air, I go on like a little mini vacation, a hiatus from the news. And the fact that it was my birthday made it even more imperative that I take that break. And I stayed away. I can't stay away long, though. That's the part of what I do for a living. It's like, this is my passion, my love. This is what I always did, was be obsessed with trying to figure out or trying to come up with my take or my analysis of the news, whether it was international or national or local, whatever. And so I don't last very long. By Saturday at 8.30, I had not only awakened, although I did sleep in a little bit, which for me is great, I had to know what was going on in the world. I just had to know. And none of it was good news. I mean, it just keeps getting more and more ridiculous out there. And people take all kinds of, I don't want to say idiots, but that's what they are. They take all kinds of idiots seriously and pay way too much attention to what idiots have to say. Geez, I hope none of you are thinking, Joyce, maybe you ought to be careful going down that road. But I went and listened to a little bit of... Uh, well, I didn't even really listen to news, but I started to read some of the websites that I frequent. And 
it was just all bad. The anti-Semitism, rampant, politicians who for the most part are either pathetic or just liars and caught in their lies over and over again. And so by 10 o'clock, <clears throat> or even earlier than that, on Saturday morning, I already was ready to go on another hiatus, take another break from the news and just try to hope that it would go away for a little while, <clears throat> which I was fortunate I was able to do. And then, of course, I was going to the concert that evening. and we. My husband Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Husband took me out to this wonderful dinner, which, by the way, we went to courtesy of my friends at the um, uh, Alan Bergstein and Bill Petraglia's group, the uh, Christians and, and Jews for conservatives. I, I don't even know what their club is called anymore, but whatever that club is, they had given us a gift certificate to this Italian restaurant in Boca by the name of Stallone's, and it was awesome. This is an unsolicited, unpaid for advertisement. It was awesome. It was a great atmosphere. The food was uh, stupendous, and it was somewhere between like family style and a good old-fashioned New York-style pizza Italian restaurant. And the food was excellent, and then we went to the concert. So everything was going really great. Church on Sunday, excellent. And then it was all capped off yesterday by Club 47 and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I've had my ups and downs with Marjorie Taylor Greene, as have just about everybody in my listening audience. You know, you're either like just thrilled with every single word that comes out of her mouth, everything she writes, every uh, bill she tries to bring to the floor, or you just shake your head. You know, <laughs> uh, She has that effect on me anyway, and I could see she has that effect on a lot of people. But it was really nice to be there on a Sunday evening and have so many like-minded people in one place. And she's a firebrand. She's a, she's a pistol. That's the word that, you know, my father used to use when I was growing up. Ah, she's a real pistol. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene's a real pistol, and she didn't disappoint. And many of the, many of the news items that she was addressing were on my mind, were on everybody's mind. So it was, it was timely. Oh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, even in the midst of a lot of, just garbage. The world is heaping garbage. I had a wonderful weekend, primarily because at this stage in my life, and I'm sure many of you can relate to this and agree with me, I don't really care what anybody thinks anymore. I am convinced that only God can fix this mess. So I don't spend a lot of time banging my head against the proverbial wall. I like to analyze the news. I love, I look forward to coming on the air Monday morning. I mean, I wake up panting um, because the weekend is enough. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready by three o'clock. I mean, I used to be ready by noon, but now by three o'clock, I'm like chomping at the bit. And so it's just, uh, I realize how fortunate I am 
And I think about all the people I've known all my life and people I still know who don't like what they do for a living, who may or may not even want to be working anymore or want to start working or whatever the case may be. And I'm in that beautiful position of I work because I want to, not because I need to, not because anybody expects me to, but I work because I enjoy what I do and I've been able to structure my life and just have enough time on the air. I know y'all complain, oh, an hour's not enough, and we w-, which is awfully nice to hear. We wish you were back to three hours, but thank you very much. No. An hour is sufficient every day for you and I to sit down and hear my take on what's going on. And so many of you have contributed to my take. So many of you have taught me so much. Over 33 years in this market, I have learned that first and foremost, I have the smartest listeners on planet Earth. I don't care. I don't care if you're a big uh, hotshot, nationally syndicated guy and you're sitting in a studio in New York. That's nice. Congratulations. Pressure's on you. Or whether you're a small town guy in, uh, I don't know, Des Moines. It's a privilege to do what I do and to still find it so compelling and to be, uh, you know, just blessed to, to do what you love. I want that for everybody. If you love what your job is, you will never work a day in your life. That's what my father told me, and he was right. You know, my father was right about everything. Not At the time, I didn't think so. <laughs> but uh, here in the by and by, I know for a fact my father was right about everything. And that's a good thing. I do want to remind you all to participate in contests or even to read the No Restraint podcast. And there's a new one that dropped today. Thank you, Hector. If you want to hear these things, the best thing you could do is have the app. The Download the app on your cell phone. Download it on your laptop, on your uh, regular computer. What do they call these now? I guess the hard drives and... And that way, you can participate in all of the contests, and we always have two ways for you to win. We have sweepstakes, you get rewarded when you listen on the mobile app, and right now, there's a $50 Burger King gift card, and you can start your day, if you had that bif- uh, that Burger King gift card, you could have had a croissant meal this morning with a Simply Orange orange juice, and you know, why not? Could have had lunch and dinner too. I don't know if you want to eat Burger King all day long, but what a nice gift to have one. So please download the app. And if you don't want to do that, some people are intimidated with all these apps on their phones and stuff. Then just go to the website on a daily basis to check things out. It's 850wftl.com. Let me take a quick break right here. I will be right back. So there's really no question in my mind or in anybody else's mind that if you are paying attention to this, this primary, and, and you have to scratch your head like, what exactly is the point of this primary? We are pretty much assured how Donald Trump is going to end up with the nomination. And I, I think anybody who wants to tap dance and go into this like, well, Governor DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy, by the way, I believe those are the only three that will get to be on the debate stage. And I believe that that next debate is this week. But of course, 
I haven't really watched any of the debates from beginning to end because I'm relatively uninterested. First and foremost, I know which candidate I support and I don't need to listen to anybody else right now unless they are sort of jockeying for position as a VP or something, and and I don't really care. Donald Trump will pick whoever Donald Trump wants to pick, and it may make no sense to me whatsoever, and that's okay, because I'm voting for the top of the ticket. So, you know, sometimes I just don't understand why people get so crazy. For instance, there's something happening this week. It started on, I think, Friday, And I hear little or no discussion about it. It's a pretty major story. There's a climate summit happening. I know, you're rolling your eyes. Because unfortunately, most of us have decided that anything you would be told by the news media will be biased and irrelevant. So you just don't pay attention. But it is a pretty big deal when you think about it. This climate summit is actually taking place in a country where oil is their industry. And that's fascinating because I don't think that you expect to see a lot of fair representation of the subject there. And yet, why not? Why not there? The uh, Sultan al-Jabbar who's the oil executive, the Emirati oil executive, who's actually leading the conference, went into a very public defense of his position on ending fossil fuel use over the weekend. And I thought I read it wrong when I saw that headline. I mean, this is a guy who runs a state-owned oil company. I think it's called Adnoc. And he's under fire because there was a video that surfaced over the weekend, which I must admit I didn't see until after I read the article that I'm speaking from today, where he says there is no science behind the idea that fossil fuels should be phased out in order to keep uh, you know, the global temperatures from rising above one and a half degrees Celsius Um, over the pre-industrial levels, okay? So that wouldn't be controversial, except that it came out of his mouth at the beginning of the climate summit, and he's the leader of the climate summit. So, you know, what's the threshold that scientists, human scientists say would be too far? When, When have we gone too far? When would there be too many storms, too many... Uh, droughts, too many episodes of extreme heat or rising sea levels uh, that, that we assume have all been caused by global warming. Well, the United Nations experts, all those climatologists or whatever you call them, have said that if nations don't cut the emissions from fossil fuels by almost half, by like 40 or 42 or 43 percent, I'm trying to find it quickly in this article, but, but it's over 40%. By the end of this decade, meaning by ch- before 2030, that we have absolutely no hope 
of maintaining the temperatures in the manner that we've been able to maintain them thus far. All these scientists, all these diplomats are saying, if we don't phase out fossil fuels and we don't get governments to pledge to end the use of coal and oil and gas like yesterday, that it's the end of the world as we know it. The one and a half degree limit is only possible, according to Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, this is what he said on Friday, it's only possible if we stop burning all fossil fuels, not reduce, not slow down, not abate, not phase out. You have to stop completely. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to, to stay within that one and a half degree temperature. Now, he says this about two weeks ago, apparently. I, you know, as I said, it's on a videotape. I didn't see that video uh, excerpt until I read the article this morning. But he apparently said it in The Guardian. And he was in, at the time, he was in a panel discussion that was called She Changes Climate. And okay, I was already baffled. Who's she? You know, we talk about Mother Nature. I, I just didn't know where they were coming from. But it actually was uh, Mary Robinson, who is the former president of Ireland and is now like, you know, Miss uh, Climate Advocate, like the number one climate advocate. That's right, knocking Greta Van Thunberg right off of her perch. But she is the one who asked Mr. Al-Jabbar. Now, I don't even know. Do you call a sultan mister or your highness? I, I, I don't know. But whatever. Let's say Mr. Al-Jabbar. Every time I say that, I think of Karim Abdul-Jabbar for some reason. And this guy is not that tall and doesn't play basketball that I know of. But there he is. He's in this uh, video. And... He, she, he's being asked by this Mary Robinson if he would lead a global effort to phase out fossil fuels. So I want you to think about this. This guy's whole worth is tied to fossil fuels. This man's con country that he leads is in the position they're in and even hosting a climate summit because of fossil fuels. So what is he supposed to say? Well, he didn't say what he was supposed to say, apparently. He said there's no science out there, there's no scenario out there that says if you phase out fossil fuel, you're gonna get this one and a half uh, you know, temperature consistency that everybody's talking about. And then he like, basically yelled at everybody on the panel for even asking the question or even thinking about it, saying that he thought they were gonna have a sober and a mature conversation, not an alarmist one. He said, please help me, show me a roadmap for a phase out of fossil fuels that will allow for sustainable socioeconomic development unless you wanna take the world back into caves. How long have I been saying that? Not just me. How long have normal, sane people been saying, you can't stop progress, you can't punish 
nations that are just now finally coming into the 21st century? Well, you would have thought, when I read this article, you would have thought it was the end of the world, right? For this guy to be saying this, uh, like a firestorm. And this is right at the beginning in Dubai. That's where this conference is going on. It's called COP28. <laughs> I'm sorry. Some stuff just tickles me. The former vice president, Al Gore, you know, he who has called for fossil fuels to be replaced by wind and solar and any other renewable energy, uh, denounced Mr. Al-Jabbar. Uh, and I'm still trying to think, okay, so you have wind and solar. What is the other renewable energy? Because in, in former Vice President Al Gore's case, it might be the passing of wind. I'm not sure. From the moment this absurd masquerade began, it was only a matter of time before his preposterous disguise no longer concealed the reality of the most brazen conflict of interest in the history of climate negotiation. One thing about Al Gore, verbose, right? He will inevitably use 500 words to say something that could be said in seven. By the way, that happens to be one of my gifts as well. Uh, obviously, Mr. Gore says, the world needs to phase out fossil fuels as quickly as possible. Well, n no, no, it doesn't. And Mr. Jabbar had the audacity to say that. He said that Mr. Al-Jabbar has been preparing one of the most aggressive expansions of fossil fuel production which is timed to begin as soon as he bangs the gavel, the final gavel, to conclude the COP28, this climate summit that's taking place as we speak. But today, he was a little on the defiant side. I saw a couple of um, clips online today saying, I didn't say that. I don't know what you think you, think you heard. Well, I now have seen the video. You certainly did say that, sir. You know, you did, and you were right. In front of this sort of uh, news conference that they must have put together in like five minutes, Mr. Jabbar took the criticism very personally and said that, that uh, I'm an economist, I'm an engineer, I respect the science in everything I do, and I've said over and over that the phase down and the phase out of fossil fuels is inevitable. Okay, speak out of both sides of your mouth much or just in this instance? Anyway, I thought that was fascinating. There's a story that's getting very little coverage because what's the narrative? It's not driving any of the popular narratives, so let's just not talk about it and maybe it'll go away. It's not going away. Anyway, let me take a quick break. You stay right where you are. I will be right back. One of the things that Marjorie Taylor Greene was talking about yesterday was something that I talk about all the time. And it's fascinating when you have an actual politico um, saying what we all know to be true, but they don't say this because it's so damning, right? You're talking about yourselves. And what she said was that she has been way more disappointed with the Republicans than she has been with the Democrats. I mean, she knew what to expect from the Democrats. We know what they stand for. But most of us still have this like 
belief that the Republicans are different and that they're trying to meet the needs of the people. And she said, you get up to Washington and you realize pretty quickly, not so. And she was more disappointed, she said, with so many of the members of her own party. And I could get that. I always laugh and say to people when they go, oh, but Joyce, we want you to run for, for office. You should go to Congress. And I'm honored and flattered that people would think that. But it's almost like, gosh, you really don't like me if that's what you want for me. <laughs> and I describe it as, can you imagine, just you know, put on your imagination hat and try to picture me your beloved Joyce, getting into an elevator with Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That's how Marjorie Taylor Greene refers to her, Ocasio. Imagine that. I get into this elevator with the two of them. Does anybody believe for a second that it's going to be a peaceful elevator ride? I don't know if it's going one floor or three floors, it's going to be a mess. By the time those elevator doors open up again, it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility that I'm going to be facing handcuffs because I probably would have a lot to say to one uh, speaker, Nancy Pelosi. Marjorie Taylor Greene described very accurately, and I know that she was uh, telling the truth, how Nancy Pelosi got things done. How she would walk around with her little pad and pen and she would horse trade. I mean, that's the only way you could describe what she would do. Can I count on your vote? And then what do I have to give you to get you to vote the way I want you to on any given bill? And that's horse trading and that's what speakers do some with ethics and some without, Nancy without. So fascinating though, when you're finally starting to see a whole new batch of congressional representatives who, like us, can't believe how dysfunctional it is and how perfectly comfortable our elected representatives are with lying to us over and over again. You know, she described having to fundraise every two years and the difference between sitting in your office, calling your constituents and the people who may have donated in your, other, in your last campaign, asking them, can I count on you for $100? Can I count on you for $500? Can I count on you for $1,000? Can I count on you for $2,600? She said, you gotta do that like, hundreds and hundreds of time, or you can actually have a company host a cocktail party for you, during which time they will pressure the guests at that cocktail party to pony up big bucks for you. How many congresspersons do you think would prefer to sit on the phone with their constituents begging? like less than 1%? <laughs> I think you're lying if you say you'd rather do that. So she described the swamp very accurately, and it'll depress you when you hear it said out loud by somebody who's actually serving. But that's the truth, and we all know it. 
And if we don't change some of this funding of campaigns, and I don't know the answer how that gets done, because we've come up with a ton of possible solutions, and all of them are fraught with the possibility of terrible results. She talked about the people who had betrayed her in Congress, her in her own party. Look, she's not going to list AOC and J-PAL and all the rest of those. We expect them to betray her. But the people in her own party, people that I used to have a lot of respect for, and have lost a lot of respect for people like Daryl Issa from California. I never had any respect for Ken Buck, but there are some people that are up there right now serving themselves. They're not serving their constituents, and they're not defending what's right. They're defending what's politically expedient for them. You can't run a popsicle stand like that, never mind a country like America, which is why you're watching right now. The world got to be laughing at the way the United States is being treated by crummy little dictators. Really. We're getting attacked in the Red Sea. We got hundreds of thousands of unvetted illegal immigrants pouring into our nation every single month. We have adversaries are actually attacking our troops while drug cartels are smuggling in tons of deadly drugs. We're no longer respected and the world is much less safe as a direct result. And meanwhile, you can't get the Democrats to tell the truth about anything. Whatever happened to Bidenomics? Weren't we like shouting that from the rooftops just two months ago? Now I don't ever hear that term. Uh, they probably realized that a 25% rise in the price of groceries is not something you should be proud of. And that's why when President Donald Trump goes to Iowa, he gets standing ovations everywhere he goes. That's why when he calls out the Pentagon and says, when you have the USS Kearney attacked on Sunday for hours, not just a single attack, they were attacked for several hours by Houthis. You didn't even know what a Houthi was until Joe Biden got into office. Well, maybe you did. One of the first things he did after taking office, President Biden, was to remove the Houthis from the list of terrorist organizations that exists in the State Department. Who put them on that list, by the way? Donald Trump. So you see the weakness of this administration is literally empowering our enemies. 70 attacks on U.S. troops and bases. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I, I, it's, this is war, as far as I'm concerned. Our enemies smell blood in the water. They smell weakness, and they are doing what enemies are, do, are supposed to do. They're attacking us. Look at, there was uh, uh, Mike Turner, the congressman from Ohio, was on Face the, uh, or Deface the Nation, whatever that show is called, Face the Nation, right? And he was talking about, well, look, you know, Donald Trump's border policies worked, no matter what. 
And it's going to take an administration that comes to the table and recognizes that you can't keep doing what we're doing. You've got to go back to Trump's border policies. You can't have millions of people crossing our border and believe we're going to have a secure country. Remain in Mexico? Is this, an, this is not a rocket science. You don't need to be that smart to figure this stuff out. Those are policies that were working and they were keeping the southern border at least somewhat controlled. And it's the reversal of those policies that have caused the mess that we see, not just at the southern border, but everywhere. And by the way, for all of you who kept telling me, well, I don't see why you're not supporting Governor Ron DeSantis. Well, apparently neither are the people who used to support Governor Ron DeSantis. I mean, he's been through multiple CEOs of his uh, never back down super PAC and uh, there was a strategist on the uh, distaste of the union who said, ah, oh, this is a terribly run campaign. Well, I told you it would be. And of course, everybody thought it was sour grapes because I prefer Donald Trump. It wasn't sour grapes. It was accurate. Don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Paggs and then Lars Larson tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., well, Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade at 9 and Dan Bongino at noon. And then I'll be back at 3 o'clock. But I have one segment left in this program, so stay right where you are. So now you're watching all of this nonsense in the final stages of, these, of this primary. And, and as far as I can tell, even though there is technically a challenger to Joe Biden on the Democratic side, nobody talks about it as though there were. And I do believe that RFK Jr. is uh, an independent candidate at this point. All the action, all the excitement is on the Republican side, and it's not very exciting. That's all I'm going to say. Nikki Haley raking in cash. Why? Because, you know, if she can get the endorsements of all the Republican kingmakers like she's been doing then the Democrats will pour money into her campaign because they just want to take out Donald Trump. And because if they can take out Donald Trump, they think they can win the election. And they probably can, but they can't take him out. That's the simple truth. You know, 45 will be 47. And that's just the, that's just the way it's going to go down. Now you can either fight it like so many of my friends have, or you can appreciate it like I have. And either way, it's still going to be inevitable as he crushes all the competition. I'm looking at these poll numbers. They matter. Uh, even Americans for Prosperity Action, a group that just endorsed Nikki Haley, shows that Donald Trump is, is a lead over all other candidates. You know, all Nikki Haley has done is leapfrogged over... Uh, Ron DeSantis, but she's nowhere near the top. So, yeah, I guess the battle is for who's going to be the first place loser. <laughs> Gosh, what a terrible, terrible story, right? Doesn't matter how many endorsements Nikki Haley gets from how many Iowans, none of that matters. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember that what lies 
behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then as I always say, may God bless you. May God bless Israel. May God bless the United States of America. And of course, keep you until we meet here again tomorrow at three o'clock. See you then. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.